0: We have been in this series for now two weeks. This is the third week uh, called Say What? And what we're doing is dealing with some of the hard sayings of Jesus. And it's this, that there are these moments in the scriptures, specifically in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the crowd, and he says some things. And, and it's almost as if their response could be, say what? Like it's just one of those moments where he says it and you're like, huh, that was, uh, that was difficult. I don't like that. That that makes me feel uncomfortable. It's one of, it's it's those, and I, I just want to look at them because, because the reality is, is is if you read your Bible, you read those and you're like, what the heck is he talking about? And and so like you're just like, okay, whatever, I'll just read the Psalms. That's more uh, whatever. And so it's important that we look at this and say, what is he actually saying? What is Jesus trying to do? Uh, and so the first week we looked at Jesus's call to discipleship. It's this, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. For would save his life will lose it, but it loses his life for my sake we will save it. That, Jesus is saying, hey, lay all these things down. Why? Because at the end of the day, Jesus is better. That was the, that was the, the tagline, Jesus is better. And then we moved next, uh, we went to the next week, which was last week, and Jesus tells us, hey, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you're like, I don't wanna do that because they're my enemies. Uh, but really the point of that is, is that you would love them in such a way that they would see who God is and how God loves. That's really what we want to be about. And then today we're going to look at what Jesus says here in John chapter 6. But before we jump in, I want to, uh, how many of you had something like this as a kid? All right. I don't know what this is called. I don't know what this is called, but I picked it because there weren't any boogers on it. So that's positive. I got out of the preschool space over there. Uh, this is actually one of the creepiest things I've ever seen in my life. Because, look, I took the batteries out so that you didn't have to endure it, but this is like, okay, so this is the deal. So like, okay, the, the point of this is to take the shape and put it in the right hole, correct? Well, there's just little indicators in there, right? There's just little like triggers that when you put it in, this thing, this demon-possessed thing, goes, yummy. Oh my God. This is for children. I don't like this. So, I obviously took the batteries out to save you from that. But listen, listen, this is the deal. Like, uh, the point of the, the whole point of this toy is for kids to learn their shapes, right? And so, you take the square block and you put it in a square hole. That's what happens. But, the, I mean, like, these are for little kids, like kids that aren't walking, aren't talking, that kind of thing. And then, so, like, they get these and they're like, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, look how cute that is!" It's like it's not cute. They're wrong. You, they're, they're wrong. It's not cute. Some of you are like, "Kid, you don't have kids. You're a jerk." Maybe when my kid gets one of these, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, look how dumb they are!" Yeah, I don't know. The whole point of this thing is to put the block into the right hole, and only one block go. Like only this. Like only the square block can go in the square hole, right? That's, that's how that works. Like You're like, what? I didn't know. Right? That, that's how it works. And it seems really, really ridiculous. And, and, and that's, that's silly with toys. It is. It's silly. However, if this could be, if this could be an illustration for our life, the, the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter three, that God has set eternity into the hearts of men, Meaning this, that, that there is something wired into us from, from creation that longs for, that needs to be satisfied by something that is eternal. But see, what we do in our evil bent is we take all kinds of things, money, success, whether that's in the classroom or socially, or, or we take pleasure, or we take Athletic success, or we take social status or relationships with him or her. We take those kinds of earthly, finite things and try to shove them into eternal holes. And we're like, why doesn't it fit? Why isn't it working? I don't understand. And we're trying to jam this thing into a hole and it doesn't actually go there. And we're wondering at the end of the day, why, why is this not satisfying me? I need something else. I need something else. I need something else. And it's really almost as silly as a little kid taking this little square block and trying to jam it into the triangle hole and wondering, why does this not work? Why does this not work? And so what I wanna do tonight, what I wanna do tonight is, kinda, is I hope that by the grace of God, he would expose the things that you take, the things that you pursue and try to fill your life with to try to satisfy you, but really that, that place was only meant to be satisfied by Jesus. And I hope that we would see that tonight. So John chapter, six, John chapter six, starting in verse 52. It says this, the Jews then disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Okay, so we just read that and you're like, what the heck are we doing? Like, what is Jesus talking about? Let me just set this up. Let me just, let's just move to see how we got to where we're at. So I'm going to back all the way up into into John chapter 6. So John chapter 6 starts in this way. Jesus is in this area. And this great crowd has surrounded him. And so Jesus turns to all of his boys, his disciples, and he's like, hey, uh, there's a lot of people here. I bet they're hungry. We should feed him. And so one of his disciples is like, uh, Jesus, do you have any money? Because I don't have any money. And there's a lot of people here. And that's going to cost at least 200 days wages. So unless you just like decide to pull money out of your ears, we have nothing to offer here. And he's like, okay, cool. Uh, what do we have? And his other, one of his other disciples says, well, there's this little kid over here who has uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus is like, perfect. And his disciples are like, what? I don't understand how this is going to go. And Jesus is like, look, guys, just, just have him sit down. Just have them sit down. So the disciples are like, okay, Jesus. Hey, guys, sit down. We're going to feed you. I don't know how we're going to do this. Just sit down. And so they, he has the, the men sit down, and they sit down in this field. And you know the story. He gives thanks, and it multiplies, and they feed 5,000. And it's this miraculous moment. It's this miraculous account. And the people are satisfied. And it says that they had more left over. They took up baskets of leftovers. It's like, how does that work? I don't know. He's Jesus. But he multiplies the bread and the fish. And these people are satisfied. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. You must be the prophet who is supposed to come into the world. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa chill out, chill out. And he, Jesus leaves. He's like, the, the Bible says this. It says, perceiving Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountains by himself. He was like, these people are about to like wrestle me into making me their king. And it's not like, it's not, I'm not ready for that yet. Like it, my father has not said to do that. I'm gonna get away. So he gets away by himself, separate from the disciples. And the disciples are like, where's Jesus? I don't know, but we just fed these people and they're kind of a mob. What do we do? And so they decide, everybody get in the boat. We gotta row away, like get in the boat. So they get in this boat and they row to the other side of the sea in a rowboat, in a rowboat. All right, so they're, they're, they're rowing to the other side of the sea, and a storm comes, and you're like, cool. Storms are scary enough when I'm driving, much less in a rowboat. So, I mean, they're freaking out, as you could imagine. They're like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? I don't know, what are we, what are, I don't know. And they're panicking, and then, as if the storm is not scary enough, then they see this being and coming toward them on the water, and they're like, oh my God, we're all gonna die right in this moment, this is happening, we're gonna die. And, they, and, and, and then all of a sudden they figure out, oh, it's Jesus. Oh, thank God. Literally, thank God. And so he comes, he comes steps in the boat, calms the storm. And then all of a sudden they're on the other side of the sea. How does that work? I don't know. He's Jesus. He gets to do what he wants. Okay. And so they're, now they're on the other side of the sea from the crowd. The next morning, the crowd wakes up, does their thing, goes to the docks. And they see like, huh, they only took one boat. Oh, but I thought Jesus left separate from them, but he's not here. That's weird. You guys are going to go find Jesus. All right. So they get in the boat. So they get, in, they get in these boats and they row and they get across to Capernaum and they find Jesus in Capernaum. They're like, Jesus, what's up? How did you get here? And this is what he says to them. You guys are just looking at me. You're looking for me because I fed you. You're like, oh my God. Jesus. I mean, it's one of those moments. You're just looking for me because I fed you. He says this in verse 27, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you for on him, God, the father has set his heel. And they're like, great. What works must we do in order to, to know God? And, and he says this, this is what Jesus says. They ask for what works, plural. He says, here's the work of God, work, singular, that you would believe in him who he sent. And they're like, Cool. Show us a sign that why I believe in you. It's really like, do a trick for us, Jesus, so that we could believe in you. He says, they, they, they say this Well, God fed our, our fathers in the wilderness. He sent manna down from heaven, and they ate of it. And so we knew, we knew that, that they should follow God. So show us a sign this is what Jesus responds to them with. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they're like, oh my gosh, give us this bread. You're talking about bread that's better than manna? You're talking about bread that gives life? We've got to get this bread. You have it in your pocket right now? You want to pull some out and give me some? This is Jesus' response. I'm that bread. And he says this great statement in verse 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says, I'm the bread. I'm the one that satisfies. And you know how they respond? You move down a couple of verses. In verse 41, it says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. It's like the PG version of like, Jesus, you're dumb. You don't know what you're talking, you're crazy, dude. They're upset, they're angry. How can he say that he comes down from heaven? And they they, they say this among themselves. Isn't this Mary and Joseph's kid? Like, doesn't this guy come from Nazareth? How does he say that he comes down from heaven? We know where he comes from, and they're missing it. They're missing it over and over again. They're missing it. And he says, look, you have this need. You have this need and only I can satisfy that need. You have an eternal need and only, I can, only the eternal can satisfy that need. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're Joseph's kid. You work with stones, dude. Like, what are you talking about? And they get more and more angry and more and more angry. And they're like, you can't say that you're from God. You're not allowed to say that. And so Jesus finally, in in a moment of like, all right, let me just tell you how it really is. He gets to verse 52 and he says, in verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So as if he wasn't clear before, he just made it real pointed. Listen, here's the deal. you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, gross, dude. Like, what? We're Jewish. We're not allowed to do that. (laughs) And they miss it again. They're missing it. And I don't want us to miss it. So what is Jesus really saying? Eat my flesh, drink my blood, you've got to refer back to Exodus chapter 16 because they referred, they said, hey, our fathers, they got fed with manna that came from heaven. God sent down bread from heaven. And so we'll just read verse four, Exodus chapter 16, verse four. This is after the the Israelites say to Moses, hey, Moses, we were in Egypt and it was real awful, but at least we got some food, dude. Like we're wandering in the desert now and I'm hungry. And they're just griping. They're like, I'd rather go back into slavery and get some food than do what we're doing right now. I guess God's left us. And God comes to Moses and said, look, I'm gonna supply. Verse four, it says this in Exodus chapter 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. You see, God says back in Exodus chapter 16, I'm gonna rain down bread from heaven to satisfy a need that you have while you wander in the wilderness. Now flash forward from Exodus chapter 16 to John chapter 6, verse 48. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread, me, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. Have we heard that before? So that the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus says this in a very physical picture, in a very weird way, but it's very rabbinical. Jesus is a rabbi. If you didn't know, Jesus is a rabbi. He uses a physical thing to talk about a spiritual thing. He says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Not literally. He's not like, hey, take a bite out of my arm. You wanna be safe? Take a bite out of my arm right now. That's not it. He's saying, look, you need to consume yourself with me. You need to find satisfaction in me. Why do you eat? You eat because you have a need to be filled. And so Jesus uses that picture. He says, you, you have a need to be filled and only I can fill it. He says, look to me, believe in me, consume yourself with me in order that I might meet the need that you have. You see, just like God met the need of the Israelites while they wandered in the wilderness, so he meets our need while we are wandering in the wilderness. You're like, what are we, I'm not in the, I live in the suburbs, dude. It's like this. God created a perfect world when he created this, this place, the universe perfect, such that God and man could dwell together. And God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. But this is what happened. Uh, Adam and Eve were, were presented a choice. And they chose Sin and sin entered the world, and it fractured the relationship between God and man, not just for Adam and Eve, but for Adam and Eve and everyone who would come after. So that means us too, because that sin is passed down to us, and so we are sinners by nature. Oh, but we're also sinners by choice. We will choose to rebel against God. We will choose our own way. We will choose to say, God, I don't wanna do what you wanna do. I wanna do what I wanna do, and God cannot be, in the, but I wanna be in God's presence, Cade. We are not because of our sin. You're like, but I wanna be in God's presence, Cade. You're like, me too, but we can't get there because of our sin, so we we need some kind of help. We need some kind of solution. We need somebody to come to us in our wilderness and give us what we need. And so just like in the wilderness with the Israelites in Exodus chapter 16, God sends bread from heaven. And Jesus comes. And he comes in human flesh in the most humble of ways and lives perfectly. Because God required perfection from us, but we couldn't do it. So Jesus became our representative. And he lived perfectly where you and I are supposed to. But not only did God require perfection, God required payment. You see, you and I, because of our sin, we racked up a pretty significant debt, so much that we could not pay it off. You couldn't be good enough. You couldn't show up to church enough. You couldn't read enough of your Bible. You couldn't, you couldn't say enough prayers. You couldn't give enough money in order to fix the problem that you and God have. You are in desperate need. And God in his love for us sends bread from heaven. And Jesus lives perfectly and Jesus dies the death that you and I were supposed to die. It was our death. Jesus didn't die because he deserved it. Jesus died because you deserved it. And he was murdered on a cross so that we, me and you, could have a way, the way, into God's presence, just like it was in the garden, full access. And he rose from the dead, declaring victory over sin, death, and the devil. Now to all Everybody, if you if you are in here and you do not know Jesus and you're like, I don't know about any of this stuff, but you're hearing, okay, I've got this need. I heard what you said and I know that I'm jacked up, but I don't know how to fix this thing. And you're hearing that Jesus is the fix. All of those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead. The Bible says that you're saved, that you're a part of the family of God. So if you're in here and you've never done that before, what? earth is stopping you tonight. What's the hurdle? What's in the way? Is it pain? Is it a question? Listen, I I work at a church and I'm following Jesus and I've still got questions. It's fair. But God sends bread to satisfy our need. God sends Jesus to satisfy our need because there was no other way for us to meet that need. And yet we try all the time. We know, we know we have an eternal gap in us. We're made for eternity. The Bible makes that very clear. And so what we do is we try our best to fill it with all kinds of stuff. Hey, I know I have a need. You feel it in you. So you're like, yeah, so I'm going to date a lot of girls. And you try to fill it with girls, you try to fill it with guys, and you, try to, you try to, and you try in this relationship and it doesn't work, he's a jerk. And you try this relationship and you're like, whatever, you're not as pretty as I thought you were. And you try this relationship and you just, oh my gosh, I don't like this. And, and you're, you're just jumping from person to person and at the end of every bit of wreckage, you're thinking, why is this not satisfying me like I thought it would? Or maybe some of you are going to stuff on the internet and trying to trying to just fill your life with some kind of connection because you long for a connection and you long for something, but you don't know how to you don't know what the real solution is. And so you just fill it with images on a screen. And what you're finding is this isn't satisfying me like I thought it would. It's just leading me into more darkness and I hate it. And the answer is because you're trying to fit some square block into a round hole. It doesn't go there. It's not meant to satisfy you. And it never will. It's like, okay, okay. Kate, Then how are we supposed to respond here? Let's look at what the Bible says. Let's look at what they do. Look at verse 60. John 6, verse 60. We see two responses here. The first one's from the crowd. Look at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who, and who it was who would betray him. And he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. The crowd's response is this. I don't like what you just said. You just said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's weird. I don't like that. Who can do that? They're not getting it. They don't like it. That's not convenient for them. And frustrated. And Jesus, not hearing them, but perceiving, like knowing, they're upset. He says, do you take offense at this? Is this what you're really upset about? And he goes on to tell them, your frustration, because this is inconvenient, because this isn't how you thought following Jesus would go? Jesus says, your frustration is evidence that you really weren't following me for real anyway. You were just here for a show. You were just here for a meal. Now, here's the deal. I'm terrified that that's some of us. And so you're all in to follow Jesus until it gets hard, until it gets inconvenient, Until it messes up some relationship that you've got, until uh, you get shoved out of a social group, until it's not popular at the moment, until it whatever, fill in the blank. You're all in to follow Jesus until life goes upside down, until mom and dad split apart. But when it gets inconvenient, you bail. You say, if this is what it means, then I'm out. Jesus, you're supposed to make my life better. You're supposed to give me what I wanted. You bail out because you're missing it. That Jesus came to give you life eternally, not to just make your life better and 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 easier. That's not gonna happen. If that's what you're hope, if that's what you're holding out on, if you're like, I'm gonna become a Christian so my life can get easier, go get a job instead. That's not. Christianity is about coming and making your life easier. Christianity is coming, laying your life down because you see that Jesus is the only way to fix this problem in me. Jesus is the only thing that really satisfies this need that I have. So if it's you, and every time you hear things like this or every time life goes upside down and our relationship fractures and you think, ugh, I'm not following Jesus anymore. I hope, I hope like everything. You would see that maybe you're not actually believing in who Jesus really is and what Jesus really is about, and that you would come to that realization today. But there's another response. Look at verse 67, John 6, verse 67. So Jesus says to the 12, so he was talking to the whole crowd of disciples, that's just followers. Now he turns to the 12, his boys, and he asks them this question. Do you want to go away as well? They all left. You want to leave too? Go for it. You want to leave? See you later. It's a great church growth strategy. It's really great. Simon, 68. This is the best. Verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter says this to Jesus' question. Do we want to leave? Where else are we going to go? Who else are we going to go to, Jesus? Nobody satisfies like you satisfy. You're the only one that can fill this need in me, Jesus. Where else am I going to go? And he says this, and we have believed and we have come to know that you're the holy one of God. He says, we believe who you are. And not only do we believe it, but as we've walked with you, we have just come to know even more that you're the real deal. You're it. Where else are we going to go? There's nobody like you. There's nobody who can fill this need in me like you, Jesus. It's you. It's always been you. Where else am I going to look? And so if you're in here trying to jam everything into your life to satisfy you except for Jesus, here's my question to you. To whom shall you go? Where else are you going to go? Are you gonna find some other dry well to go to and try to drink and be thirsty again? And some other guy to run to or some other relationship status to get or some other grade to achieve and just to fill you up and to make you feel like you matter? Are you gonna look at Jesus and say, where else am I gonna go? You're it. You're the Holy One of God. kid, how do I know that Jesus is the one who satisfies? One, because he's the creator. And only the creator knows how to satisfy the creation. Colossians 1.16 says this, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's Jesus. The creator knows what satisfies the creation. So we know that he's the only one who satisfies because he's the creator. Number two, we know that he's the only one who satisfies because he answers all the deepest questions that are in your soul. Whether you know that they're in your soul or not, he answers all of them. Who am I? Why am I here? Where do I belong? What is wrong with me? What is wrong with the world? How is that problem resolved? And where the heck are we going when we die? Jesus answers all of them and answers them truthfully. So why is he the one who satisfies? He's the creator. He answers all the deepest needs of our soul. And the last thing is this. He's the only one who really deals with our deepest need. He's the only one who really deals with our deepest need. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says like this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That even when you were in desperate need, that through your faith in Jesus, God made you alive. Your need is that you're dead. You need to be made alive. You can't make yourself alive. You can't shove things into your life to make yourself alive. Only Jesus makes dead things come to life. You're like, Kate, uh, if I had all these other things, like if I had success, like, like celebrities had success, if I had money like celebrities have money, if I had women like celebrities had women, if I had everything that I wanted like celebrities had, I wouldn't even have to worry about Jesus. My life would just be so satisfying. It would be unbelievable. If that's the question, I want you to watch this video really quickly, and I wanna answer a question after this. Take a look at the screen.
1: Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on him back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, and he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. (laughs) It's what you always wanted. (laughs) You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. (laughs) But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is... I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew.
0: So here's the question. That dude has everything on the planet. 60 million dollar contract he has everything that you could dream about having and then times it by 10 and he's got it he's got all of that and you know what he's doing he's asking the question this isn't enough is this really all that there is all that there is